Today's episode is brought to you by Better Beer Zero Carb. This award-winning zero-carb beer got sixth in the hottest 100 Aussie craft beers and a bronze at the 2022 Royal Queensland Food and Wine Show. It's an absolute stonker, zero carbs, zero sugar, and only 87 calories per can. Uh, This award-winning crisp and mighty refreshing beer is simply made of the good stuff. The creme de la creme. Water, malt, hops, and yeast. The zero carb is 4.2% alcohol. Enjoy responsibly. Ain't That Swell presents Crawlords. Today we're joined by Sammy Smith from The Beefs, aka These Guys. Fuck, absolute torture to cut that one short, but don't worry, you'll hear that Beefs banger which featured in John John Florence's iconic Maps from Home very shortly, along with several other iconic Aussie pub rock anthems. Uh, I just thought since, you know, we're chatting with a new school pub rock icon that it might be worth a trip down memory lane in line with some of the, the artists that have inspired Sammy and the Beefs. And uh, yeah, so we just took a bit of a uh, a bit of a trip through the annals of Aussie pub rock, featuring some of the greats, which you'll hear very shortly. Epic chat. Sammy's an icon. Met him years ago in my hometown, where he's just pulling beans and making brews for the bourgeois bra. And look at him now, killing it. They've got tons of Aussie pub rock bangers. An absolute special of Sinini, one of his favourite all-time genres, Hamad. I'm loving the set too. Yeah, this is my living room in uh, Mishambale, Baggettville, whatever it is. Where do you live? Just west of Wardell, man. You know where Wardell is? West of... Oh, I'd love to say yes. Explain it to me. It's uh, mud crab and country up kind of uh, southwest of Ballina, so inland of Southwall. You ever surf Southwall? Yes. What a wave. Hell joint. It's uh, yeah, the closest joint to me, I guess. West of Wardell. Sounds like a, an album title. Mate, you'd be right at home out here. It's uh, very much a... You know, bit of a floodplain, definitely a low socioeconomic uh, bogan backwater. With uh, there's, there's a big uh, indigenous mission around the corner, Cabbage Tree Island, which actually just uh, went under during the floods and has been fully condemned. So they're living on the golf course now, the crew from the mission, in a bunch of pods. And uh, yeah, it's uh, you know people in loose fitting singlets with uh, bits of back hair and. Uh, kind of limping uh, around the joint, but I love Wardell. It's it's it, like, and everyone's got a mullet. It seems, or like it's uh, yeah, it, it's a gritty joint. It's it's like a different planet to Byron, but it's really close to Byron. Sounds like the beefs would fit right in up there. Yeah, man. If you want to do a gig down at uh Wardell Core, you're more than welcome. The they have uh this mantle 
kind of post-flood infrastructure that they set up. Uh, and they do some mental gigs down there. Yeah, it's a fucking hell joint, man. It's actually like as core, as bogan core, as beef core as it gets. <laughs> I am in Yelling up at the moment. We moved over to Perth um, and we've got a little shack in Yales, but I went down to Smith's Beach for a swim this morning. After our namesake, I'm a Smith, you're a Smith. I don't know if we're related somewhere along the line, but... Yeah, I mean, it's uh, more than possible. There's a lot of smitties around in the central west of New South Wales, that's for sure. I don't know if we got as far west as yelling up, but good on you for going and, and baptizing yourself in the sacred brine, mate. There's something about getting in the ocean, isn't there? I mean, it'll wash off a hangover. It'd rip you out of the casket if you were um, on your way out, I reckon. There's something about the salt electrolytes. You You explain it to me, Smitty. What is it? I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what the, the mystical qualities of the ocean is. I Like, yeah, I don't know. There was some article I saw in tracks ages ago talking about exactly what you were just mentioning, just some like tripped out ions and electrons and um, just the biochemistry of the ocean and how it syncs up with what's inside of us. But yeah, I mean, we're 90% water, aren't we? And, uh, you know, yeah, it's fucking, it's charged up in there. You know that like, holy smokes. It's a, it's a living entity. The ocean, uh, gives life to this planet and so many creatures both in it and on land. So it's gotta be something in it, Smitty. I, um, read that article about those fishies dying in the river recently. And that really tripped me out due to low oxygen levels in the Murray, that is some sad shit, isn't it? Yeah, it's funny you bring that up because uh, I've actually been to Menindi and, and reported for uh, News Limited about uh, just what's going on out there with the Murray-Darling River. And, uh, you know, I was there not for a fish kill, but I was there not that long after one and was uh, staying with one of the big wool farmers out there who was part of, I think, the first viral clip to come out of there, uh, just holding on yeah. to like a fucking prehistoric Murray cod that was dead, uh, along with millions of others. And, yeah, it's, it's tripped out out there, man. I don't exactly know how it works, uh, but, I mean, it's worth talking about here because it, it's a gnarly issue and it really applies to everyone on the East Coast, and that is that um, you've got a lot of cotton farming that goes on on the Murray-Darling River, uh, and yeah. that's affected the flow of the river. And, uh, you know, those co cotton farming is such a water-intensive practice, and so much of it goes into making fast fashion, which is, you know, uh, you know the, the raw products, I guess, exported to China or elsewhere to be made into fashion, and then essentially they're valid for what? what's the, the the fashion cycle like three months or some shit and then it just goes in landfill or goes to Vinny's and that's our uh, if it's yeah if it's one of my left socks probably lasts about two days i reckon <laughs> exactly so i mean that's the lifeblood of the east coast it's kind of the the, the lifeblood of the country in a lot of ways that's our food bowl it's like the, the, the murray darling is to australia what the mekong is to southeast asia so yeah just taking big risks with it um, allowing very wealthy business interests to 
dam the water upstream and, and choke communities like Wilcannia and, and Menindee downstream. So that's what's happening. That's where the oxygen levels are dropping because they're choking up the river in certain areas. Mate, not exactly. Not exactly. I think it's a factor. I, I, I don't know if they're super sure about what's doing it. I think it's it's to do with algae, the algal blooms that happen after yeah. flood of, flood events. But because the the river system's been so, um, you know, fucked with in all these different ways. Like, who knows what the downstream effects of that are, so to speak. Um, but yeah, you know, there's a you'll love this as an epic John Williamson song, which I might play in this episode right now, called uh, "I Love That P- Pigs in the River," and uh, it's a it, it's like his it's his hurricane, you know, Bob, you know, Bob Dylan had that, yeah. that track, that super political track. This is as like raw and angry and iconic as John Williamson gets in in my opinion. It's a fucking ripper of a track. I haven't heard it before, but I'm keen as get it on. Pigs on the river, snouts in the trough, taking all the water, you can't get enough. You don't care, you leave towns dry. Pigs on the river, snouts in the trough, draining the country, can't get enough. You're getting fat with a greedy eye. You don't love the river, you greedy swine You've got no friends, you sure aren't mine You think you're big time, you think you're tough You raise a number, you had enough Pigs on the river, snouts in the trough We know who you are, we're calling you bluff This is Australia you should be ashamed Pigs on the river Snouts in the trough Drain in the country Can't get enough this is Australia You should be ashamed You don't love the river You greedy swine You got no friends You sure aren't mine We're coming to get you You're breaking the law Pigs on the river You started a war You're gonna get more Than you bargained for
Talk to us about your band, The Beefs, and uh, I know that the lineage you're descending from and, and, and very much a part of is the pub rock lineage, and uh, it's a favorite of mine. It's a favorite of yours. It's uh, very much relates to what I was just talking about, that, that John Williamson track, but yeah, talk to us about Australian pub rock and the imprint it left on you. It's a long story i guess explaining where it all came from for me personally i think it started with my old man's my stepdad's record collection he he had everything from aussie rock to to hendrix zeppelin um robin trower neil young bob dylan all of that in this big wooden box and we would chuck those records on from when we were three or four years old so i think it really started there for me um he had an album called Tracks Australian Made, which had an assortment of Aussie Aussie classics on there. Based um, on the film, that film Tracks was that was related no, to. I can't remember. I think it was like a a series of albums that they put out. They were basically mixtapes called T R A X. Um, you could dig them up, I'm sure, somewhere. Um, and there was a few Midnight Oil tracks on there and stuff. And I think the the political side of Midnight Oil that that they had something to say as well as play good music really caught my attention when I was young. Um, and I started playing guitar from, from around that age. And I played a lot of acoustic guitar growing up and then I'm like, Oh, this isn't really sitting with me, resonating with me sort of, it's not a true reflection of my personality. You know, I grew up in a pretty rough town in Port Lincoln and around a lot of colorful characters around the coast. And, um, and that's when I really started, probably five, six years ago, making music that I felt was a lot more in line with the way I acted, thought, talked and um, behaved. And that's really where the beefs were born. I was lucky enough to work with some pretty good musicians, Matty Corby, um, Julian Sudek, Kieran Callanan, Monty from the Delta Rigs, and those guys really sort of helped bring it to life. Um, and that's why it sounds so good, you know, without the help from those dudes it would sound like my dodgy bedroom recordings but we all need help don't we and um that's where it started of course uh wow you're from lincoln no way mm. the yeah, I grew fishing... up there till I was about yeah grew up there till I was about 18 or 19 years old and then i moved to perth and then i moved to your um hometown of scum valley for about 13 years yeah, right. Wow. That's a, I mean, what was that like growing up there? I mean, Lincoln is most famous for the tuna fishing industry. It's down there in South Oz. Uh, you know, it's not, there's some pretty good waves around there too. If you, if you game and, and, you know, willing to roll the dice with the fucking prehistoric megalodons that patrol the joint. 
Oh, growing up, when you're a kid, you don't think about it, do you? You'll surf anything, you'll surf anywhere. As you, as when I go back there now, I'm like, how do you do it? You know, I just look down these cliffs into these fucking dark water, dark clouds, and I'm like, nah, not for me. I'm a 40 year old dad. I've got better things to do with myself, so I'll just find a green beach break somewhere where you can see the beasts coming, <laughs> and that's me. Yeah. Any interactions down there? Yeah, we'd seen a few. Um, seen a couple surfing, and then I had one come up really close to me in a little rowboat once in Port Lincoln itself. So that's the closest I'd ever seen one close up, and it was a fucking pretty scary shit. Holy shit, in a rowboat. That's so Jaws related. Do you reckon the thing could have just <laughs> taken a fucking bite out of it and sunk you? Oh, easily. Easily. Lincoln's great, though. Sounds like you've been there. Good waves. Like you said, um, you got to know where to look. Um, it's a really small town. There's only so long I sort of envisage myself being there. And um, you got to spread your wings, don't you, and um, and move around, just like you did. You probably didn't want to end up living in Bondi forever. Oh, mate, I fucking loathe the joint growing up, eh? Hey, I... It was an improvement from Camperdown and, uh, you know, Dremoyne, the, the full big smoke. But by the time I was 15, I had a gut full. I was just like, what is this place? What, like, it's a fucking straight hander and it's always busy. And there's there was just no respite from the crowds. I, I was kind of couldn't wait to get out of there. But, mate, still uh, a very different place to, to somewhere like Port Lincoln. Mate, what you were just saying there – one of the things I have been there many times and, you know, for our listeners who might not have been, if you travel east of Lincoln, you're hitting some of the harshest country in this country, the, the harshest inhabited country. Anyway, your Wyalas, your Port Augustas, it's it's red earth, it's iron ore mining or whatever they're mining out there and these crazy, almost Star Wars-esque um terminals where they're loading up the, the the resources like how wild is that stretch of australia we've <laughs> there's a beef song called in the blood actually and that describes that drive from lincoln to adelaide it's an eight hour drive believe it or not but it is so close it's a 30 minute flight but you've got to go up to the gutter port augusta for the listeners that don't know what i'm talking about and often people get port lincoln and port augusta confused but they are two, two, two totally fucking different giants we're talking byron to fucking kempsey you know and like you said it's a it's a vast disparity between the two and that's only a three-hour drive from iron knob the sexiest named town in the world down to <laughs> um port lincoln <laughs> yeah mate there's no mistaking where you are in the world when you drive from adelaide to port lincoln that stretch is as iconic as anywhere in this country is it's it's as iconic as uluru and um creek i don't know the sydney harbour bridge but for different reasons it, it's just harsh country mate fucking hell yeah. <laughs> and the cops when you got those interstate plates they're just all over you like a rash just fucking pulling you over e emptying the contents of your car on the side of the road fucking looking for, <laughs> looking for a, a oh. roach or something to sting you with uh, you, and you you know you drive past the prison in uh i think it's augusta you do heading west so it's it's all there in your face and yeah obviously like a big indigenous community there and 
Um, yeah, you know, it's, uh, there's uh, some serious tension between the white and black communities there, you know, kind of really harks back to, you know, the bad old years of uh, Australian uh, politics and, and, and culture in the 80s. But out of that period, also a lot of good came and out of that tension, a lot of good came. A couple of all-time pub rock bands, uh, one that you mentioned, Midnight Oil, very much bought in on these disparities and these issues that you, you see in Port Lincoln to Augusta, the Warumpi band, uh, mate, yes. is from the the centre of Australia, right? Around, around the Allison, that kind of zone. And and I guess... I believe so, yep. That's the traffic. Like a lot of the, the crew down in Augusta, all of the um, Indigenous crew are like, you know, making their way back and forth between the Alice and, and, and down to Augusta. And yeah, it's all happening. There's a, there's a lot of inspiration to draw on for sure. Yeah, like you, you, like you said, you can look at it as a, <laughs> that town and that area, APY lands and all of that as, as rough and uninhabitable and um, not somewhere you would exactly want to live. But if you want to get inspiration <laughs> for, for writing Aussie pub music or, you know, go and live somewhere a little bit more uncomfortable and get out of your comfort zone, it's, it's the perfect spot for you. Mm, mm. And, you know, poverty and, and kind of uh, the lower end of the, the working class is what everyone seems to have in common out there. It's not like rich whites and poor blacks. It's like everyone's pretty battle spec in that part of the world. And, uh, you know, that's where you get the characters. Just like I was saying with Wardell here, it's, um, you know, people aren't bunging it on. It's like, it's so real and... Yeah, there's just something about that, man. I don't know. Like, um, you know, I, I love that in a sense. Like, it takes hardship to kind of make those people, you know, it takes character building events and character building places to make people like that. But that is the the essence of this joint. It, it's those people. And, you know, you don't see them in the media. You don't see them uh, on TV shows or uh, necessarily even fronting bands, you know, the, these are the people who are just kind of forgotten, eking out existences in the margins of the country, but there's a lot of them. I think when people, um, there was a bit of confusion with the band and because we've been in Bondi for so long, I think the story, it was a bit conflicting in that why are you writing about these, these battlers, these strugglers, this Aussie pub music? Um, when you live in Bondi, you know, and I think it's me writing about my upbringing and um, my formative years. It's really all sort of just drawing on on um, those past experiences. So I think, and now that we've moved to Perth and WA, there's a lot, you see a lot more of, of that kind of lower socioeconomic um living and to tell you the truth it's really refreshing to be out of bondi and and getting back to to the roots of of the beefs yeah that's interesting man that's uh i see the connection now i didn't know that myself that uh you're from lincoln and that part of the world and it all makes a lot more sense now that the sound and the aesthetic and the the whole uh vibe of your band it yeah i, I can see it um Man, I guess, uh, yeah, Midnight Oil you mentioned too. I mean, far out. Talk to us about them. Like, what a band, man. Uh, you know, obviously, they 
kind of politicized bogans. That's the way I see them. Like their music was amazing. It was undeniable. Uh, I've seen them a couple of times in my life and, you know, they essentially brought like really heavy topical information to uh, the bogan beer swilling masses who it turns out are, are super receptive to all of that. Uh, you know, th- this country, it's the workers paradise. It's the, the fucking, the whole ethos of this joint is um, sticking it up the man, which was uh, for a long time, you know, the British aristocracy, this was joint was run like a dictatorship and uh, you know, it, they divided and, and conquered us, pitting blacks against whites, and, and and a lot of people took the bait. But you know, a band like Me Not All brought us back together again. It, it galvanized this country through music. I mean, fuck, what an outfit! How, how big of an imprint did they leave on you? Yeah, I guess that they were. They gave a voice, and this is just to sort of um, back up what you were saying before. They gave a voice to the battlers of Australia and. And back in the day, I guess there was a lot more battlers than what there is now. You know, our population's exploded and people are making a lot more money. More people are living in the bigger cities. And um, But back then, there wasn't as many bands and, and there wasn't as many bands that were voices for the working class people of our country. Fucking oath. The oils, midnight oil, any excuse to play them. This is Read About It.
Back to the chat with Sammy. You know, good music, and they had something to say. And we didn't have a choice whether we liked them or not. They were just there in your face. Yeah, I love uh, when bands are undeniable. I love when when anyone's undeniable. You know, they they trust in their work ethic and uh, their talent and, and their their mission and journey in life, and they just go all in on it. There's nothing I respect more than that. And the oils were definitely that. And I guess they were also from a period when you know this is before the internet, and this is the golden age of pub rock. This is when you could go to fucking Bankstown racetrack and see red gum and midnight oil and in excess and mid uh, and fucking uh i don't know sky hooks uh all on the same bill for five bucks and like there was nowhere for these bands to go that they could only really play together and tour around australia until they got to a certain level and they could try to make it in america or or europe but you know we were blessed in that period to have such an abundance of world-class bands and it's i always think of it as like uh i think it's charles darwin's theory of convergent evolution so like he has this theory uh and i guess the galapagos islands is, is the perfect example it's in a biological sense where you have these remote places and everything like breeds interbreeds on that remote place because they got nothing else to breed with and it just creates these ultra colorful crazy super uh, unique specimens and i see kind of australian pub rock in the 80s as kind of like a the musical equivalent of that i liked where that analogy went smitty you nearly lost me for a sec but i'm pretty sure you brought it back <laughs> <laughs> and man talk to us about collaborating with uh matt corby like fuck that guy is yeah, I don't know. Our international listeners won't have heard of him, and a lot of our Australian listeners might have forgotten about him, but that guy's a, a freakish talent, isn't he? Oh, man. But, you know, you say that, and then he's doing a tour of the States at the moment, and it's sold out instantly, so he must have a True. couple of listeners over there. He, Matt, oh, probably could have been a little bit bigger if he'd have kept down that road of sort of more popular music. He... um. He's a pretty down-to-earth kind of shy character, and I think um, being on that show kind of scared him off of the limelight a little bit, but his talent definitely didn't hermit. It was just his personality that did, and he's brought out some amazing albums, including one that came out today. Um, yeah, it was released today, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be Triple J's album of the week next week. Amazing. Um, worth a listen. Yeah. I was friends with his manager a long time ago and um, um, when Matt was touring Australia, they got me along to just do an acoustic set before his shows and so that's how we kind of got to know each other. And then I played him these beefs demos and he's like, mate, this is fucking awesome. And that sort of gave me the confidence to um, to get it started and he recorded the first EP um, with country member Jellyfish, Rubber Arm and... Um, shins up tins up on it so that was really a bit of a kickstart for me that was that was awesome so sick yeah i guess he come through whatever it was one of those uh the voice or australian idol or one of those kind of talent search shows and then uh yeah i understand there was some controversy with the, the label or whatever but i actually have a family member who went down that same pathway uh, i won't say her name but she's fucking pretty huge and uh 
yeah, it's interesting what record labels try to push you into doing once you come out the backside of those shows. And it's, it's, yeah, I'm not surprised what happened happened and he kind of disappeared from view for a while. And I'm so frothing that he's back and, and putting out the kind of music he wants to put out as opposed to uh, the kind that the record labels want to put out. He had that amazing track on Spirit of Akasha. Yes, go on, why not? This is Corbsy Bra, what the devil has made. Thank you. 
we um he was living in Bondi at the time and we had this spare apartment down on the on Campbell Parade and um Matt rented that off of us for a few months and set up this recording studio in there with mattresses and fucking sheets hanging up on the walls. But he recorded that song there and I remember hearing it just going, That that thing is fucking that's that was him to the to a T, you know? And I think talking about labels and them wanting you to fit in this um in this pigeonhole, he this album that he just did then, and I don't know if this is top secret information, but who gives a fuck? This album is the last album that he's got under contract with a big record label, and he started his own label called Rainbow Valley Records. And so I'm pretty sure any future albums that he does from now on in will um, will be a little bit different because he doesn't have to answer to anyone anymore, and I'm pretty fucking excited to see what he comes out with now that he's fucking out of chains. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, that's great. That's something really exciting. For everyone, he's he's a freakish talent. That that song from Spirit of Akasha, which I will play in this episode, uh, that's like an instant classic. Like it, I feel like the the Rolling Stones or someone could have written that. Like it, I feel like it could be from any era. And the moment you hear it, you're like, like wow! Like I, I was so tripped out that he had made that song. Like obviously those talent search shows just don't really give you that good of an indication of the the full range of an artist and, and um, you know, all the, the various handles on instruments and sounds and, and their voice that, that they've got. I remember what happened that the producers of that, that film and that, um, that compilation came to him and obviously wanted him to tailor a song to that production. Right. And I think when an artist is given an idea, it's like if somebody was, to ask me to write a song for a fucking surf movie and they would show me the visuals first. It's so much easier to write a song based on what you've seen or he had the previous example of the original Morning of the Earth, you know, and I really, that song could have been fucking fitted into the first movie. Fully. Couldn't it? Yeah, yeah. And so that's what happened there. He had the inspiration. It's not like he was just fucking... It's like me going to you, hey, write me a fucking news article. And you're like, on what? And I'm like, anything you want. Mm. But it's so much harder. But if I was to say, hey, write me an article about fucking red-tailed black cockatoos, you know? Mm. You've got a starting point. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, wow, I didn't know it developed like that. But that was how that film was made and, and the soundtrack was composed. I think Mickey Smith... Uh, was given a, a similar edict by Kidman and, and produced a fucking insane score and, and compilation of footage. It's worth a rewatch, uh, Spirit of a Car. They toured it. They fucking toured it. And I went and saw it at the Opera House in Sydney and it was fucking phenomenal. All the different bands played that night. And it was wild. Yeah, I think I was there. I, saw, I remember seeing Pond playing in the Opera House going, we ham. It's pretty amusing. They're great, aren't they? It's so good. That was early days for them too. They were a uh, full freak show. Remember that Nick guy is an absolute oh freak. God. Very funny, very weird, but sounded amazing. Uh, and yeah, you mentioned you know making music for surf films. You went the other way, where you'd made a track and it was picked up by John John Florence and his crew and and put in Maps of Home 
in what is probably the best section in that film, just John going fucking warp speed at Halle Eva doing crazy calves and getting stand tall the most psycho combos you've ever seen. Mate, talk to us about how that came about and, and how exhilarating that was for you. Oh, fuck. A mate of mine, Mitchie from Life Without Andy, who are big supporters of the beefs. I'm sure you know Mitch. Yep. He, he um was mates with Eric, who's John John's producer, and just he put in a good word and he said, mate, if you've got any spare clips that you need music for, hit Sammy up. And so Eric did. And they were in Newcastle at the time, and um, Eric called and said, oh, we want to use this song in some waves up in Newey. And um, John said it looked like shit. It was like knee-high grovelers. And he's like, oh, I love that song so much because I think they'd all been listening to it together in a house up there. And John said, no, nah, let's save it for this uh, Maps of Home we've got coming up. And so I watched it and I'm just like, fucking when's this fucking song going to come on? And how's the first scene of that movie is just John riding fucking that 20-foot glass he left with Slater in the channel. And fucking some orchestral violin or some shit was playing. Um, <laughs> but it worked. And then all of a sudden it's Jack, Nathan, John in the car park. And fucking boom. John just does a big hack to the opening fucking chord of Red Valley. And I'm like, yes, this is fucking, this is it. And it, it really, it made you understand the song a lot better, didn't it? Seeing it on that backdrop. Here it is, the Beef's anthem, one, Red Belly Black Snake. I've got a red belly, black snake, and I 
Yeah, 100%. It hit so hard, man. And it, it was actually a source of major kind of cultural pride to hear one of our totem animals represented by a Hawaiian in a, you know, global surf flick. I was like, fucking earth. Like, this is classic. This is like, ain't red belly black snakes anywhere else on the planet as, as far as I know. And there ain't music that sounds like that coming out of uh, anywhere else in the planet as far as I know. It definitely kicked the song off. Like you look, you look at it compared to the other beef songs on Spotify. It's got a lot more listens. But it also, when you go on Instagram now, there's hundreds and hundreds of people that have used it on clips, and um, it's almost just become the go-to for <laughs> fucking adventure sports. And I've been hit up by North Face and Toyota, and um, and some beer brands, and all sorts of. Um, People wanting to use the music, so yeah. Without John, it, it um the beefs wouldn't be where they are. So I'm fucking super grateful for that. But um, and super great, super excited to. We've got an album coming up in the middle of the year to see what those songs do and and really tailor the music to that market because that's where it's at for me. I don't I don't give a fuck about the money side of it. I want my music to be in films that were as good as Bunyip Dreaming, Green Iguana and, and fucking Maps of Home. I love it, man. Yeah. And, you know, in, in an age of globalization and, you know, mainstream music, when, when even Triple J and a lot of Australian bands have adopted a, a kind of indie pop formula, fuck, it's refreshing to hear bands that are unmistakably Australian. Uh, you know, yourself, King Stingray, um, these kinds of bands, like they hark back to that golden age of Australian pub rock. And we need that, man. We can't lose that because it can be lost. Uh, you know, you can lose your kind of national character in the the globalized culture. Well, fuck yeah. I, I totally agree. Totally agree. Like it's up to our, our youths and our kids. And thankfully kids do like the beefs. They like the chats. They like. Amel and the Sniffers. Yeah. Amel. Yeah. Kids do like them, which is great for us because then it gives us this audience of kids from 15 to fucking 60. Bit of King Stingray up for you next. This one's Milkamana. Turn it out. 
and that's really really powerful and i we need to harness the the culture like you were saying and it almost comes back to that warped analogy of darwin and can't remember what it was galapagos yeah. islands or something yeah exactly <laughs> i'm just trying <laughs> to give some credit hey, no no it's a, it's a good, back there. good theory yeah yeah 100 percent, man um yeah it it it's it's a crazy a crazy idea that you know we can lose parts of our identity as the world becomes a more connected place and i, I just feel like that's a, a bit of a sad a sad thing you, you don't want that like i'm not saying globalization's necessarily bad or anything but you want to retain those regional identities and and, and music and and literature and stuff like that is, is where it lives and podcasts i guess um to a degree now as well but yeah man don't uh don't let them water you down it's fuck man it's super interesting too like just going back to your story going from lincoln and eventually ended up in the eastern suburbs where you, you met with uh you know kieran j callanan who i believe was uh pretty instrumental in, in putting that track together uh red belly black snake and, and julian sudek you know a couple of guys who are like full-on like like they're very polished, very studio savvy musicians who don't immediately scream gritty pub rock to me, but it's that combination of um, talents and, and stories and journeys that, that was able to make red belly black snake, um, which I, I find fascinating. And like, it doesn't matter in Australia what kind of culture or class you come from like that pub rock lineage is, pretty well inescapable like you you can't have grown up in this country without having heard barnsey midnight oil in excess etc etc so yeah talk to us about uh you know their input in that track and, and just what they brought to um yeah the beefs good question great observations um i met julian just around the traps and um and kieran a little bit later on because those two grew up together on the northern beaches so they had worked together played music together since they were fucking 10 years old right and that's probably something a lot of people don't know so their synergy in the studio together is just fucking second to none they just don't even have to look at each other they're just feeling it out when i bought them the demo um they started they obviously liked it from the get-go but they added this extra oomph and beat to it. And I love dance music. I love all music, but I like the monotony um, and the heaviness of a lot of um, kind of more electronic tunes. And they almost added this sort of electric, electronic element to it. And I was scared at the start. I'm like, well, what the fuck's happening here, you know? And then the more we got down the track and um, Kieran started doing his wily fucking guitar over the top with his thousands of boss pedals. And I also learned after getting to know Kieran in the studio that his dad was in a really seminal Australian band called the Radiators. And I, wow. it just, it all started making sense. And I'm like, I was similar to you where I was like, how is this pub rock music coming out of the most affluent fucking suburb in Australia? It's almost a bit of a, um, a bit of a dichotomy, isn't it, really? But the stories all made sense. And 
It just works. Man, it works. Fuck, it works. I mean, yeah, I think that's one of the the forgotten aspects of Q and J Calnan. You know, amidst the freak show that he is playing gigs in, like cross dressing in kilts and I don't know, like fucking what are they crocheted see through like tops and <laughs> fucking. What do you call he's a those? fucking freak. He's a good mate of mine, but he's a fucking freak. He's a freak, dude. He's as fruity as they come. He's a fucking. I was at the cracker. tackle shack at the fucking twelve o'clock at night after Splendor once, watching him swing off the rafters in a kilt with his just with his tackle just fucking getting shacked. Yeah, are you, are you even from Sydney? If you haven't seen Kieran J. Callanan's dick at a show, no, you're not. You're not. Um, but, but it didn't. It hasn't really helped his causes with getting into the mainstream. Not that he really gives a fuck, but I don't reckon Triple J are touching him. Even he put out a song recently, and um, it's phenomenal. But I just don't hear it plastered all over the J's because people are too fucking scared, aren't they, really? Triple J's lost the plot, dude. It's the most fucking struck, vanilla, corpo like it, it sucks so bad it, it, like, uh, I, they've played the beefs a couple of times but definitely not um on don't record. say anything bad about triple j mate you can't don't agree with me just just stay silent on this i'll fucking i'll do the t and off sammy because uh they can make or break musicians like no one else in this country but no, uh, i agree and like i said they had they had supported us especially on Unearth. i never wanted to put my songs on unearthed i don't know why but i have um, and it is a really good channel for up and coming musos, obviously. And yes, you do have to comply. And I would be fucking stoked beyond belief if they did put Red Belland on fucking high rotation, but I'm not holding me breath. But maybe with the album coming out, they might um, embrace a few of the newies. They're just like what they are is like a quintessential bourgeois woke left institution now whereas once upon a time they were very much more working class they would have like working class uh hosts um and the humor and the accents and the language that come out of there alongside the music it it was all uh much more relatable now it's just been fully gentrified it's unlistenable horseshit i can't cop the can't cop it and I've, i've known many people who've worked for that station as Hosts and whatnot over the years, and you know, like to be honest, like that was when I was trying to make a fist of it in the city as a journalist working for the newspapers. And these people didn't really, um, they didn't set me on fire, bro. They they weren't they they weren't of my my set, my culture, my class. That's for sure. They were classical media elites, and uh, yeah, it, it sucks that our national broadcaster has gone that way, where you can't, you know do something politically incorrect, like flash your dick at a fucking stupid music awards ceremony or some shit. That's what he got into trouble for in, in the end, Kieran J. Cowan. Like, that's just funny shit, man. You got, th- th- there's fucking 50 paparazzi there looking for something to happen. And he just whips up the kilt and gives him a look straight at his prong. Well played. Well, this is even more obscure. Ariel Pink from Ariel Pink's Haunted Graffiti went to a Trump rally in the States about six months, a year ago, maybe. Not because he's a Trump supporter, but because he's open-minded and he wanted to fucking hear what the guy had to say and he wanted to see what the people in the audience looked like. Fair enough, you know. He got fucking rinsed for even being there 
and him and Karen are really good mates and he features on Karen's upcoming album. So Karen was really bundled into Ariel Pink and his supposed beliefs. And no way. This is what's happening as well, you know. So people are almost scared, scared to touch Karen because of that. What? So now he's a fucking dick flashing fucking Trump supporter. <laughs> yeah, a cross dressing <laughs> dick flashing Trump supporter. There's uh, perfect, uh, perfect synchronicity there. Like that's so crazy. Ariel Pink, mate, he would have been the biggest freak in that crowd too. He's a he's an odd cat himself, but oh, fuck, what an artist! Holy smokes! Yeah, I know it was meant to be an Aussie pub rock jamboree, but let's have a bit of tweaked septic energy anyway. This is Ariel Pink's haunted graffiti round and round. Na 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 na.
sentimental Heartbreaking Everything is my fault Sentimental Heartbreaking Everything is my fault Hold on I'm calling Calling back To the boat And we'll Holy smokes. I've uh I've copped him live uh singing I think down there at Meredith. I believe he was reading the lyrics off a, a, a printout. He seemed a bit disheveled, but uh man, his uh recorded stuff's amazing. My mother in law, we were having dinner the other night, my wife's mum and um they they've got a boat that so they go out to Rotnest on a lot and my wife's sister is friends of friends with Ariel Pink and they came out on the boat, the whole band and Sarah's mum, she's, you know, she's pretty straight-laced and they were just chaffing doobies and fucking she had to tell him to um, put out the doobie on the back of the boat, which he was very, um, he was receptive to do. But, um, yeah, sounded pretty funny. Oh, my God. Wow, that's awkward. Excuse me, is that marijuana? <laughs> I I don't appreciate you smoking marijuana on my boat. Put it out, please. <laughs> I don't want to get some kind of a contact high. Holy shit. I've seen seen Reefer Madness. I've seen what it does to people. (laughs) I've got to say, Schmidt, you and Vaughn have been really killing it lately. um, You haven't come a long way because you were good from the get-go, but you've been doing it a long time now, and I feel like it's going as strong as it ever has. (laughs) Appreciate it, mate. That's uh very kind of you. Yeah, it's gone from strength to strength. I think we're relishing the position that we're in of, of having such you know passionate supporters and 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 really fulfilling um an important part in the culture, both in in surfing and otherwise, and and being able to you know communicate uh what is essentially the kind of working class culture that you don't hear anymore. Like, uh, you know, yeah, we're, we're a bit crude and crass and a bit vulgar, but, uh, mate, this is all language. I picked up swinging shovels with my uncle in South Sydney and playing rugby league and surfing and that. So, uh, you know, I know that it, I know that it hits. I, I've seen it hit hard in, in the flesh over my entire life from my uncle and cousins and, and, and mates. And, uh, yeah, it, it's a culture that, 
you just don't you don't get any more in the media because the media's been overrun by elites and uh it's a piss take and like you know i worked as a journalist in the city as i was saying and fuck it was mind melting this was before trump come out with all of that drain the swamp and the elites have taken over um man he was so bang on with with that observation it's wild in there dude it's wild like you have a an accent or a language and more than that even a, a social matrix that you operate on when you grow up in uh the the working or welfare class that is so incompatible with elites like you you can't you you try because everyone sounds different to you you try to kind of fit in but you can't fit in because you're just running on a different operating system and uh i experienced that and it was alienating and weird and depressing and eventually you know i got marginalized by the mainstream media uh just because I was telling stories and pitching stories that, you know, they pulled on the, the big levers of capitalism. And, uh, and this was for News Limited. I wrote for everyone, News Limited, fucking The Guardian, uh, like what uh, the Saturday paper, Vice, like so many different publications across the, the left and right, GQ, um, you know, one of the, the few journalists to cross that paradigm and, and go on both the left and right wing sides of politics. And that was because all of my articles were class-based in their, in their, what they were addressing, which was, you know, housing affordability, commutes, like really dry shit, um, you know, gentrification, the, the kind of petitioning of rich and poor, like in this country where we're, you know, the gentrification of areas and, and moving poor people out of their communities and, and it becomes exclusively rich. So you got ghettos of the poor in Western Sydney and you got enclaves of rich in the East. And it, this wasn't the way of the world when I was growing up. And I, I believed very much in the values of, you know, the pub rock bands we're talking about, you midnight oils, wimpy bands, um, et cetera, et cetera. Black fella, white fella, doesn't matter as long as you are true fella. Good, true fella. Yes. Fucking but right. you're fucking you're smart enough and broad-minded enough to to wake up and get the fuck out of there, make a change. You don't like it, fucking do something that you do like. Yeah, it was a weird one, man. Well, I got yeah, exactly, exactly. It was, it was weird, you know. Like I was super poor for a while, and then I was able to you yeah, still are really poor. Just starting to make a bit of money finally off the pod, um, but. Yeah, that was uh, there was some fucking lean years there, man. Wow, holy shit! But I wouldn't take it back because that's the genesis of this of this podcast. A lot of it was just pure disgust at how uh, media, politics, and the upper echelons of society function, and 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 this this potty is definitely a reaction to that because um, no cunt can tell me what I can or can't say on here. Um, now you guys are touring soon. Any um plans to come over to the west or what yeah we'll be at, we'll be at perth and margs man so uh obviously come along if you want to play music do that or don't but uh we'll be there sammy we'd love to see you there man and uh i'll, um, br- I'll bring the acoustic and play rubber arm yep 100 percent. that'll be mental man and before i forget you got a you mentioned uh you got an album coming out so you gotta plug that make sure you plug it yeah, look, we've started tracking demos for it. Um, there's about 12 songs, and we've got to get into the studio. I'll we'll probably end up going back to Sydney and working with Julian. Um, 
and I'm pretty excited and hopefully there's a lot of Beefs fans out there that are excited to hear some new music because it's been a while between beers. Yeah, and mate, talk to us about just uh, some of the other surf films that your music's popped up in. Uh, I know you had a track in uh, the the Bondi Grom and, and Junior World Champ, Grayson Hendrix's uh, kind of big Aussie coastal mission, but where, what other surf sections can we cop some of your tunes in? Fuck, it's been a lot, eh? I know Brett Bircher um, ages ago put a couple of tracks in something that him and Darcy Ward did. Um, Leonardo Fiorante hit me up to put Red Belly in a, in a film of his, which I thought was kind of funny because really that song, it's synonymous with John John, isn't it? I don't know why he would have wanted to use it. Yeah, that, that caused a bit of a stir. I think people are asking, you know, can you even do that? Can you can you rip off a song and a section that iconic and, and put it on your own? Fuck. Oh, who was I speaking to about it? Someone was fucking furious. Stace Galbraith fucking bailed me up in a pub near Byron and he's just fucking ropeable, eh? He's like, he <laughs> fucking can't do that. I mean, what's an example of it? It's like, I don't know what, I don't know. Yeah. It's, I'm trying to think. I mean, uh, I guess. But it doesn't matter. It's an online fucking clip. It's not like Maps of Home was sitting in your fucking VHS stack, you know? It doesn't matter anymore. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, it's like uh, the Malachi Crunch No Effects classic, which I think was the closer, maybe Slater section in uh, Momentum 2. And then uh, like as iconic a section as you get. And then like a year later, there's fucking, uh, I don't know, like uh, Neko Paderat's putting out a, a surf film of the same, tra- you know, like it's, uh, it's not going to Yeah, Comparisons are inevitable, Sammy. You set yourself wow. up to fail. To answer your question, I, I don't know, Sheldon Simkus put one up of fucking Mick Fanning using a song this morning, actually, I, um, which I was pretty stoked about. It was nice to see Mick wiggling to a bit of country member. But it's all clips now, Smitty, isn't it? Really, there's not many surf films. Real, oh, there is, I guess, if you go under stab, there are. No, you're um, right. It is. It is clips now predominantly. And it's, uh, yeah, even like watching maps from home again before this interview, I was like, fuck, I haven't watched this in ages and I haven't like, I forgot how jazzed I get from red belly black snake in that section. Holy shit. Like it got me so flared up and it's a sad thing. It's just the way of the world. Now we don't have shit in hard copies. Whereas if we did mate, I would have fucking worn that VHS tape out by now. I'd be broken. Yeah. Stab really. And, good on them that they've created this central hub for surf content that you just don't go anywhere else do you and um they're all the vids are there i know noah put out a vid creed put out a vid that who's 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 the um that kale video was was wild um but yeah we watch them on our laptops and our phones don't we yeah and 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 once they're watched, they disappear into the glut of daily content. They're just lost in the, the algorithm fucking forever. Yeah, do you watch them as much? Do you watch that Kale vid and then watch it again and again and again like you used to with the fucking VHS or the DVD? Probably not. 
Definitely not. Like, I mean, I've got them all bookmarked, but it's like because they're not staring me in the face beneath my TV, I just don't think about them. I forget that they exist. You know, that hard copy was an advertisement to watch this again. Um, and, and when I, it's like when I want to watch a, a mental surf film, I, I kind of get writer's block a lot of the time. I, I'm like, oh, and you, you can't remember the names of them necessarily. You, you know, the surfers that's in it, but like Craig Anderson's another one. He's got so many crazy clips out um, or, or like semi feature length films, but fucked if I can remember the name of like almost any of them. It was, it's an, it used to be an amazing launch pad, didn't it really? For musicians, bands to be unearthed through these surf channels. And I feel like even in Kai's videos, Kai Neville's vids that happened, I think Flume, one of Flume's songs really sort of started to get big out of one of those vids. True. Did not know that. That's interesting. And Kai was great for picking the right music in his clips, wasn't he? I mean, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. He was a, a mad selector. And uh, mate, talk to us about you know, your surfing journey as well, like some of the films that left an imprint on you and, and also just, I don't know, uh, your surfing experience, uh, when you started, where you've been with it and, and how it shaped you. My stepdad who who had the, the gnarly record collection was an amazing surfer on, on the West coast of South Australia. And he put me on a board when I was about three or four. And I was obviously addicted to it. Like any, any kid is it's, it's all I did well I'm still addicted I don't think that ever goes away um but it really started in Port Lincoln we didn't really travel much we didn't go overseas and stuff like that so we really surfed around there and when I moved to Perth it was a lot closer to Bali and stuff I suppose and it was nice to surf some different waves around Margaret River and um and then obviously to Sydney I know you said Bondi is shit and it's a straight closeout, but you do surf a lot because it's right there and you get your surfing gets better because you have to be quick. You have to be. Oh, yeah. Look, there's there's waves there like 364 days of the year. It's a south-facing back beach, um, you know, that's offshore 100%. and northerlies. There's always something to surf there. Uh, it's just you, you're dodging cunts. <laughs> left, right and center. And it's uh, pretty straight and gutless. But yeah, as you said, man, like, you know, it's, it's always had quality surfers. Like it's, I think the home of the first board riders club. And uh, it, it, there's never been a period where there wasn't guys who absolutely ripped coming out of there. And that is exactly as uh, for the reasons you said, it, it's so hard to surf. So you get on anything with a bit of face and a bit of period. And uh, yeah, it, it's a lot easier. Yeah. And look at the waves that are so close down at Aladala, even further south or north, I would often go to to Central Coast or Newey or um, or even up around your way when you knew that there was swell. And fuck, and that's what I do miss, man. Like moving to Perth, there's not a lot of waves here unless you come down south. I had to drive around down the Margaret River this morning and I, fuck it, I couldn't even be fucked getting into me wedding because it was pretty shit. But um, yeah, you got to travel down here. It's not like you're just going for a, a run down the beach, you gotta you gotta commit. Yeah, it's <laughs> the spot checks in that part of the world are so time consuming and frick, man. It's uh yeah, you gotta be on it early and uh you kinda gotta I don't know, like really 
make a firm decision because you can just drive around in circles and not even surf so often in that part of the world. As far as the surf movies that kind of inspired me, I guess the same as any kid, it was it was core, it was fucking Bunyip Dreaming, Green Iguana, all of those, you know, the Billabong Challenge. Um, those, those vids were classic. Those McCoy vids were fucking classic because they incorporated a bit of humour and a bit of acting. And, and a bit of pub rock. Graphics. <laughs> and a bit of pub rock. Plenty of pub rock. No shit. Yeah. If Jack didn't know the movie, you know, half as good as those ones, I'd be fucking stoked to have a song featured in there, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think, did he collaborate? No, I don't think he collaborated with Dion on Dark Hollow. I'm not sure, actually. Uh, he was definitely there on the night when it premiered in the, the Newcastle kind of opera house uh, doing a talk. But, yeah, yeah. I know I know that they they do talk a lot. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I, he's surely still got one left in him, Jack. He, he, I know that he, his health's not great at the moment. And shout out to, to Jack if he's listening, mate. I wish you all the best, brother. You're an absolute cultural icon. icon. Oh, Fucking core lord. Big time. Yeah, it really is. Uh, I don't know if anyone's left a, a larger imprint on surf celluloid than than Jack McCoy and an absolute gent of a dude. But, uh, man, it'd be great to see him just at least be like a an EP or, you know, cast his eyes a, a, across a contemporary surf film, you know, much in the same way, I guess, Kieran or, or, or Corby had an input in, in, in your music, just just add a, a bit of spice here and there. 100%. I agree. Bro, so stoked to have been invited onto the show or even remotely considered a call lord. And um, just looking at some of the previous episodes you've done with some of the other guys, Goudang, um, Sterling. Oh, yeah, an absolute honour, man. And um, you guys are fucking killing it. And I'm pretty keen to see you over here when you come over. Couldn't depart this Aussie pub rock jamboree without a track from the Giants, the goats, in my opinion, of Australian pub rock, the Warumpi Band, Black Fella, White Fella. Are you the one who's gonna stand? 